great to have the fellowship and to see people milling about and talking with one another. And then we gathered in here for a very special service. Somebody told me last Sunday night, boy, I'm glad the fire marshal didn't show up tonight. The place was packed. The aisles were full, people all over. And I said, you know, had the fire marshal come, he couldn't have got in anyhow. I think we would have been okay, you know. And uh, we had a fantastic time getting together as a church. We talked about what God has done over the last 20 years, and I won't rehearse all that we covered, but we showed a chart of growth showing 20 uh, unbreakable years in the sense of consecutive years of growth. And so we thank God for what he has done, and then we acknowledge that we have a responsibility with the blessings we've received to make sure that we're looking out for those who have yet to be reached. And we talked about as a church how we have an opportunity to expand on our property so that more can be reached for the glory of God. Several weeks ago, our church went through a prolonged period of time where we had what we called focus meetings. I did my best to encourage everybody in our church to attend those meetings, and those that came had an opportunity to share what was on their heart for the future of our church and to share what was very important to them as we considered expanding and growing and so forth. And we shared Sunday night some of the most oft-given answers on those surveys that were passed out. Uh, I was so pleased as a pastor to report that literally the number one item that was written down on these various questionnaires dealt with the fact that we just need more space so that we can reach more people. And that's what it's all about. Anytime we get inward focused as a church, it's time to put the uh, out of business sign on the door and move on because it's got to be about reaching people for Jesus Christ. We talked about another one that was mentioned. Many parents of children talked about the parking situation of our church and how children of, of nursery age are in one building and children in junior church age are in another building and then parents worship in this building. And a lot of parents said that means six trips across the parking lot on a given Sunday. If we could remedy that, put all the kids in one space and expand the parking, that would be fantastic. Uh, I noticed that there were a lot of people that said our church needs a larger kitchen. And uh, I have no intention ever of going in the church kitchen, but I love what comes out of the church kitchen. And so uh, I was glad to hear that. That was literally one of the top things that was mentioned. And then there were several comments made that we just kind of uh, squished into one category. We need more room for everything. We talked about children and teenagers, and we have a growing Spanish ministry. And so we discussed some of those items on Sunday night. But more than just discussing the need, we talked about the opportunity that we have as a church family to move forward. We've shared a depiction of what that future could look like, and we've been very honest, exceedingly honest. We've been very clear crystal clear uh, that we're really in a process right now where we're preparing and learning and growing and implementing your thoughts and ideas so thank you for sharing in the process and uh, the depiction that we showed the rendering of what our future could look like I likened it to drawing a stick figure to represent a human being it's being fleshed out but one thing we know based on conversations with architects and contractors and the like is that it's been recommended to meet the growth need that we surely will have with the ideas that are concrete at this time it would be appropriate to have about a five million dollar working budget and so while our plans are coming together we've had a great opportunity as a church family to talk about that a part of what happened last Sunday night is I shared with our church family that there are a group of leaders in our church who are participating in what we're calling the Heart for the House campaign. Leaders serving in there, uh, deacons in our church, small group leaders, uh, not, not everyone in our church who leads, but, but there were a group of people as this was getting off the ground that said, listen, on the front end, I just want to declare, I'm in. I'm all for it. Whatever we can do to make more space, to reach more people and serve more people, uh, I, I want to be a part of that. 
There were about 47 families who serve in this way in our church. 47 families. And uh, those families came together and I shared with our church family last Sunday night the commitment that they've made towards the future growth of Coastline Baptist Church. As, as those 47 families came, they made a combined commitment to give a million two thousand two hundred and seventy-two dollars towards our church's future. I'm very grateful for their commitment, and I believe that's an endorsement of the fact that they can look back, and what they've seen in the 20 years of Coastline to this point is an imperfect church with imperfect people and totally an imperfect pastor, but they've said, you know, people get saved at Coastline every week. I'm for people getting saved. New believers are being baptized at Coastline. People are being discipled. People are growing. There is not a perfect church anywhere. But I'm grateful for a core of people that said, you know something? I like the end result. I like the product. It's honoring to God and it's helpful to people. Count us in. So 47 families have said, listen, here's what we want to do as leaders to say we're behind this project. 47 families represent, if you're listening, say amen. 12.9% of those who call Coastline their church home. There are many people who we love and love us who come to Coastline who maybe wouldn't say, uh, I'm a member or that's my church home. But the 47 families who committed to do that represent 12.9% of our church family. And so with this beginning and with the plans coming together and really uh, much steam now behind this project, we're going to have an opportunity as a church family collectively to say, all right, we know what the leaders are going to do. What are we going to do? And over the span of the next two months, if you call Coastline your church home, you're going to be getting a phone call from one of your fellow church members who's going to say, hey, I'd like to find a time to sit down to share some information with you that will help you better understand what we're doing to answer any questions you have. And I want to encourage you to do something today. When that call comes in, say, sure, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to hear what's going on. Now, some of you think you know it all already. Can I assure you of something? No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Because we're learning stuff all the time. We're getting new renderings just recently. There there are renderings that uh, uh, have been changed since some of the ideas were submitted in the course of these focus meetings. Uh, You don't know it all, and you have an opportunity and really an obligation, if you do call this your church home, uh, home, to be as informed as you can possibly be. And so we're very excited about the beginning of this. I want to give you a little perspective on what a million and two thousand dollars means for our church it's it's just a number for those 47 families it means an altered lifestyle over the course of the next three years it's a it's a three-year commitment they've made to say we're going to give to help this project move forward in the last several years well really each year in the life of our church we've had a special offering to meet a building type of a need in the last three years we've averaged almost exactly one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars i want you to just think about that $115,000 would be the typical, the average. And 12.9% of our church said, hey, we want to go far and away beyond that. You would have to add all of our special offerings up for more than eight years to get what just 12.9% of our church decided to do in in a very short span of time. And so over the next two months, as I said, your fellow church members, it's not going to be me and and, uh, it's not entirely staff led. There will be some involvement. I would imagine it might be someone sitting in the same row you're in right now who says, listen, we just want to make sure you have the latest information as we're getting it. And uh, it's going to be a great, great blessing as we move forward. This project is entirely and only about carrying out the great commission of Jesus Christ. And... uh, 
I suppose I don't deserve the benefit of the doubt in every sense, but I want to say this. I do think that uh, I have a 20-year track record as your pastor, and you've heard me preach the Word of God for 20 years, some of you. And you know we conclude every sermon with an invitation inviting people to be saved. You know that we've seen people saved here who've grown in the Lord, who've gone on to Bible college, who are now serving the Lord as pastors and missionaries and teachers. What God has done at Coastline is phenomenal. And I shared with you various studies last Sunday night that have have told us that in the last 20 years in America relative to population growth, the church at large has declined by 25%. So in the span of time that we've seen 20 consecutive years of growth, the church at large in America has declined by a fourth. And I think there comes a time in the life of every church where we got to stand up and say, you know, we don't know all there is to know. We don't have all the answers. But we're not going to sit idly by and watch our nation go to hell when God has called us to do all we can to reach people with the gospel. And that's what we're seeking to do, and that's what this is all about. So people ask me on Sunday night, how do you feel about this all? I feel grateful. I feel blessed. I feel excited. We had a lot of great testimonies last Sunday night. My favorite one is I let my wife talk for a while, and uh, I got a little nervous. She's a better speaker than me, so I thought we got to put it into that real quick, you know. And uh, our family's very excited to be able to give uh, uh, sacrificially. We're grateful to be able to do that once again. And so I want to give you an update on our heart for the house. And uh, if you're grateful that our best days are ahead of us, say amen. 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 Thank you for that. Well, I've got some good news and some bad news. What do you want first? The good news. All right, I heard that first. Here's the good news. The word of God will be preached today. Can I get another amen? amen. Bad news. Our guest speaker for the day, Dr. David Gibbs, called last night really late in the afternoon and shared that he got stuck he's got a personal assistant and a secretary and dr gibbs all three of them were calling me he got stuck because of weather in cincinnati he finally got out late missing his connection in atlanta got booked on another flight so it was back on and then weather caused that flight to be delayed all west coast flights for that evening were done which meant he got a free night stay in Atlanta, which is good for him, not so good for us because uh, you're stuck with me today. I don't often begin my preaching time by apologizing that it's me speaking today, but uh, I think I'll do that right now. And uh, if you're really disappointed Dr. Gibbs isn't going to be here today, I would say I feel your pain. I was looking forward to him coming as well. I enjoy him very much. And, and uh, when we finally figured out all options have been exhausted, he just can't make it, uh, I thought, well, that's, that's disappointing. And then I thought, holy cow, that means I'm speaking tomorrow. <laughs> I have nothing to say. And, uh, and so I began to think a little bit. And, uh, you know, it didn't take me, literally, it didn't take but a few minutes before in my heart I thought, I know exactly what I'm going to preach tomorrow. I know exactly what it is that I'm going to say tomorrow. Uh, now, having said that, it still ruined my night last night, okay? So if I'm crabby today or I fall asleep during my sermon, you all understand. Don't wake me if I fall asleep. I've earned a nap, okay? But uh, we, we uh, uh, have something today that I think is going to be helpful. Now, I mentioned last Sunday night was a special night for our church. And as I spoke a bit last Sunday night for 20 minutes, exactly I spoke for 20 minutes, I mentioned a man in the Old Testament by the name of Joshua. We shared that Joshua was an incredible leader for God and how the Lord used him to not only change the day in which he was living, but to chart the course for generations to follow. He had a passion to move forward for the glory of God. 
We considered the fact that God had a great future in store for his people, but there was a massive barrier between the people of God and the land that God had promised his people. The the barrier that separated them from that place that God had for them was a raging Jordan River. And to everyone's surprise, as we saw last Sunday night, Joshua commanded the leaders of the people of God. He said, that river is standing in between where we are and where it is we need to go. He told the leaders, I want you to just go and put your feet in the water. Well, the end of that story is as they did that in faith, then God did what only God can do. He parted the waters. And the people entered into the future that God had for them. By application, I challenged our church family to be leaders in our community who will put our feet in the water by faith so that God can lead us into a day where more can be reached for the glory of God. And uh, what I did not get to do last Sunday night because of time, we share the backstory to what we read in Joshua 3. We began last week in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. So today we're going to study in Joshua chapter 3, and I'll be looking beginning in verse 1 in just a moment's time if you want to make your way to that portion of Scripture. We're going to look to the backstory. You know, there are times in life that are more challenging than others. And how we handle those challenges are of great importance, for they determine what our future will hold I'm aware today that some reach a point in life, some reach a point in life where they lose any interest or desire to move forward. I've yet to reach that point in life. I have a fervent desire to make progress for the glory of Jesus Christ. And what I believe about you this morning, I believe the vast majority of people in this room, you too have a desire to move forward in your life for the Lord. And we can make an application as a church. We want to move forward, forward for the glory of God. And, and, and I believe that what we'll study today can be helpful. And so it's with that backdrop I'd, I'd like to share this message that can cha- challenge us and encourage us. And uh, admittedly, I, I was personally disappointed when I discovered Dr. Gibbs wouldn't be able to join us today. But my theology informs me that God has a way of using what we would call mess-ups for a purpose. And I really do believe today that God can use what we're going to study in a unique way, in a special way. And uh, so I hope that you're blessed and you're helped by what we're going to learn together this morning. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read God's Word. After we read the passage of Scripture, I'll lead in a word of prayer our eyes will be closed if you're totally bummed out it's me speaking today you could probably slip out no one would ever know okay so give me that heads up joshua chapter three is where we're going to be today let's begin reading in verse one and joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from shittim and came to jordan he and all the children of israel and lodged there before they passed over It came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God and the priest, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Uh, I just love those three words. Go after it. Get after it. Get moving. (laughs) Make progress. Follow the, the leading of God. Verse four. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. 
Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. The Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. Thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. By the way, uh, Joshua would be considered one of the greatest leaders in all of the Bible. Uh, an incredible, incredible military leader. Had a great mind. I, I believe... We see his leadership demonstrated in verse 9 because he encouraged the people this way. Hey, listen to the word of God. A good leader in a spiritual setting is a good leader because they spend time with the Lord and they share that which God has said in his word. He said, hear the words of the Lord your God. Verse 10, and Joshua said, hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Parasites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. It's not written here, but he even drove out the termites. All right, just all the ites in the land. They were gone. Verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. I want you to go back to verse 4 and just take a note, uh, uh, look rather at the last expression of verse 4. Joshua here conveying the word and will of God to the people of God says, ye have not passed this way heretofore. He was saying, in essence, we've never been here before. We've never done this before. We need to be careful in our desire for progress uh, that we wait on God. And I think there's a fantastic message for all of us in here today. Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for each person here. Uh, Lord, I, I think just about everyone here today, myself included, expected to hear Dr. Gibbs preaching. Uh, yet you rule and sometimes you overrule when it comes to our plans. And so we believe you have something for us in this service. May hearts be opened. May we learn. May we grow. May it be to your glory. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I was returning from a missions trip one time, and we landed in Los Angeles International Airport, and it was a flight that came in late in the evening, and as you can understand, after a lot of traveling and weary from the trip, and then the jet lag on top of that, there was just one thing I wanted. I wanted to get in the car and make the 90 or so mile drive south so that I could get home as soon as possible. We got on the freeway, and it was wide open. I was thankful that traffic was moving along, and uh, we were making our way south, and we got to uh, Orange County, and things slowed up dramatically. I, I saw a sign that said, freeway closed, and I thought, you cannot close the 405. You just can't. This is America, after all. We don't close freeways like that, and, and it was late in the night, and sure enough, as we approached about Fountain Valley area, they were building a new overpass for a street, and they closed the freeway. One by one, the lanes started getting cut off. And finally, we were forced to get off at an exit. Uh, I went to the end. I turned right as, as the sign directed. And there was one more sign that said detour that I followed that led me right into a residential area. I never saw another detour sign again. So I'm trying to get home. 
I was, I was directed off the freeway. They directed me into a residential area, and there were no more detour signs. I guess they figured, uh, we got them off the freeway, now it's on them to figure out what to do. And, and it was frustrating, because here I am driving around a, a neighborhood, and, and I knew roughly where I was. I certainly knew where I wanted to go. I just couldn't connect the dots. I, I just didn't know how to get from where I was to where I wanted to go, and, and it was frustrating. I'd imagine all of you have had times like that in the course of your life. You knew where you were at that point in your life. You knew where you needed to go. And when you surveyed the path, you just found obstacles and barriers and sometimes detours. You wanted progress, maybe more than anything, but the way just seemed so hard. In many ways, that's the story of the life of Joshua as well. He knew where he was. He knew where he needed to go. But his path was blocked. He faced obstacle after obstacle as he traveled in his journey of life. And, and, and finally a great breakthrough came. But I want you to know the breakthrough was on the other side of a lot of barriers in his path. The land of promise that God had for his people was called Canaan. It's a symbolic place for us. And we'll learn by way of application what the land of Canaan in the Old Testament can mean to us in the New Testament today. And, and it might be important for me to mention that Canaan in the Old Testament does not picture or represent heaven. In fact, God told his people in Exodus 3 and verse 8. He said, I, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the, and the Termites. And all those ites are there. And what God was telling his people is, I've got a land for you and there are a lot of enemies there. All the nations listed were people that would, would fight and battle with the people of God as they came into the land that God had given to them. It was a land with many blessings, but it was a land that would require battles. And aren't you glad to know today there are no battles in heaven? Canaan is not a picture of heaven, but Canaan is a picture of the Christian life and ultimately of the victorious Christian life. Victory awaited them in Canaan, but they would have to overcome and defeat some enemies as they went. Now it has been said that the greatest book about the Bible is the Bible itself. And one of the reasons this statement is made is because the Old Testament provides pictures for us that help us to understand the work of Christ and even the Christian life in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 15, for example, in verse 4, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, whatsoever things were written aforetime, pointing back now to the Old Testament, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Paul then went on to identify our hope. Our hope is personified. Our hope is Jesus Christ. And there are some great insights in this story, an ancient story that can serve as a parallel for our lives as individuals, and I believe in a sense even for our church in this unique moment in which we're living. As we follow along through this passage, the first element I want to share with you is this truth. Number one, progress requires patience. Progress requires patience. Now let's look again at verses one and two. The Bible says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, 
and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days, and of course the verse goes on, but I just want us to stop here and get the picture. Joshua's up early in the morning. He's got things to do. He's longing for progress. And the Bible just mentions to us here that there was at least a three-day delay at this point in their journey. What we find here is a time of waiting. Time of waiting. I want you to know that progress in our lives always requires patience. Those that go the furthest in life have learned the value of God's timing of waiting on the Lord. And one of the hardest things to do in life is wait. I'm not a fan of waiting. I'd prefer just make forward progress all of the time. But we don't go anywhere worthwhile in life if we don't learn the value of patience. David in Psalm 27 wrote these words. He said, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And as we think of the progress needed in our church, uh, I think we'd all have a heart to say, man, I, I wish that every need that was articulated by our church family could be met this moment. I, I wish we could just kind of wiggle our nose like that old TV show and boom, it's all done. It, it's all just happened just like that. It doesn't work that way. I've learned some things about patience in my life. First, I've learned that in the Bible, all who claim to be followers of Jesus, we've been called to live like Jesus. We're to be like God. In fact, the Bible tells us we're to live like God. Well, let me tell you something that I know about God. He's patient, and I'm glad he is. Peter in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 said this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm glad that that verse teaches that God loves everybody. He wants everybody to come to know him. But in the midst of that verse, we find that our God is long-suffering. That means he's patient. I've been called to live like God, and God is patient. I've been called to live a life life of love you know what i've learned about love love is patient in first corinthians 13 and verse 4 paul simply said charity suffereth long so if i'm going to live a godly life and a loving life it's a non-negotiable i have to live a patient life a patient life I love being a pastor, I love preaching, um, but sometimes on Sunday uh, af after the services, uh, I've got one thing I want to do, I want to get home as soon as possible and eat, and uh, then i got to turn around and get back and get ready for Sunday night, but I just want to go home and sit down. I generally get about 45 minutes on Sunday afternoon, and I want to get there, and I want to sit down. I'd rather not talk, I want to eat and chill out for a few minutes and get back well we've got father's day coming up and i was thinking of this message last night and reflecting on on that and i remember several years ago on father's day lisa and the girls got together and they said they wanted to take me out to eat on sunday father's day uh, uh for me it was it was a gift for me 
And I didn't want that gift. I want to go home and sit down and uh, eat at home. But they were being kind to me. So I said, oh, that, that would be fine. Thank you. But on the inside, it wasn't fine with me. Have any of you ever told a lie like that before? You know, oh, that would be fine on the inside. I'm like, well, there here goes today, you know. And, and uh, so uh, we went to a Mexican restaurant and we walked in and everybody was happy. Everybody was talking, chatty, chatty, chatty. And on the inside, I was just kind of grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. Um, I've got a lot of problems. Sometimes I can be impatient, but those that know me well, Lisa here would know me best. I don't often get impatient or, or ugly with people. And we're sitting in that restaurant. We hadn't been there very long. We finally got to our table. Everyone just talk, talk, talking, happy as can be. On the inside, I'm grumbling and complaining. I just wanted to get that. Just, just give me a few minutes to sit down, catch my breath for the sake of Pete. I'm tired. I'm worn out. And uh, uh, they're talking, having so much fun. And I saw a waiter walk by. And uh, in that moment, I'm just in this fog of impatience. I, I said, excuse me, sir. We've been seated here for a few moments. We haven't even got menus yet. We need to order because we need to leave. And, and the man looked at me. He said, senor, it's a buffet. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know. Sometimes in life, we want to rush, we get impatient, and when we do, we're revealing how our perspective is totally messed up. Progress requires patience. Joshua was a man of action. He longed for progress, but he had enough wisdom to say, God, two days, three days, whatever, we're going to wait until we get your direction. God, your timing is what it's all about. He knew that if he got ahead of God, it would end badly for him. Progress requires patience. Here's a second thought I'll share with you today. Patience allows for preparation. Patience allows for preparation. Verses 2 and 3 say this, And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. So we know at this point, the people of God had been 40 years in the wilderness and they'd gone through a leadership change. Moses had passed on and Joshua now is, is uh, being instituted by God as the new leader of his people. So there's been a long journey. There's been many battles and hardships and three days patiently waiting on the border of this land that God has given to them. And finally, Joshua gets the green light from the Lord. God tells him, hey, it's time to move forward. And when he took the time to wait, he became prepared for what was to come. Now, obviously today, I'm not advocating a lazy life or a lackadaisical life. I'm not advocating, uh, you, you know, uh, getting in the analysis, the paralysis rather of overanalysis. But I am saying that when we learn to follow God at his pace, in his timing, that uh, he'll help us. You see, when we're rushing, our, our energies get misplaced and our focus lapses. And, and Joshua was prepared because he took that time. He learned during that time of waiting that God's will was that the Ark of the Covenant would go before the people. The Ark of the Covenant was... Uh, really a sacred piece of furniture, but it wasn't just furniture. It was, it was a piece of sacred furniture that represented to the people of God the presence of God. It represented to them God. 
And when Joshua said, here's what's going to happen, we're going to follow the Ark of the Covenant, what they were learning in reality is that God is going to go before us, and it is God who is going to fight our battles, and it is God who is going to lead us to victory. And friends, I'm telling you today, it is the same way in our Christian lives. We have to follow Jesus with hearts of faith to know the direction in which he would have us to go and to make the progress that he would have us to make. I love the way Peter said it in 1 Peter 2. He said, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. There is a way to move forward in our Christian lives, and it's by following in the steps of Jesus Christ following him just as they followed the ark of the covenant and what i just said is much easier said than done it's a tough lesson to learn but we have to come to understand that not every opportunity in life is an obligation in life sometimes we have to say no so that we can get a greater yes from god Joshua understood this. I'm sure every fiber of his being during that time of waiting just wanted to move forward. But he said, you know, I'm going to have to say no to this because God's got a yes. It's coming. I don't know when the green light's going to come. But I'd much rather say no to this so that I can hear a yes from God. I've welcomed a lot of unnecessary pain in my life by moving forward uninformed and ill-prepared. But I've also had those times when I was waiting on God and it seemed at times as though all the good opportunities during my season of waiting were flying by me. It seems as though I'm sitting idly by. I didn't take into account that God was building in me at that moment and it seemed like the good opportunities were flying by. But friends, I'm telling you today, when the green light came from God, I found that I could go further and I could go faster when I was following God's plan for my life rather than seeking to forge my own will and push my way through life. Progress requires patience. Patience allows for preparation here's the final thought i'll leave with you today preparation leads to protection preparation leads to protection now the end of this passage verses 4 through 11 i won't read it all again but it really tells the story of the fact that the ark of the covenant did go before the people and god led his people uh, through many more battles. As we continue to read the book of Joshua, we find that God did everything that he said he would do. But they discovered that when they travel on his path, at his pace, they get his protection. Now, Joshua was a great leader, but I love what he said as a great leader in verse 4. He said, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, he said, come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. Joshua was saying, listen, we've never done this before. We've never been here before. We've never gone there before. It's imperative that we follow just as God had said. It was a humble perspective for a leader to readily admit. And Joshua admitting he didn't know it all did not make him a weak leader. Not at all. It made him a wise leader. A wise leader. I, I love my daughters. Most of you know uh, my daughters. Of course, Jessica lives here in Oceanside. And, and uh, 
our daughter Julie, she, she lives in Fontana, uh, and she attends the church that our church has helped to start there, Rock Hill, and, and uh, I just, I've loved being a dad. I talk a lot about it, just one of my favorite things in all of my life, and, and uh, of course, if you're a parent, you know that, almost that panic, you, you, you get to know your little kids, and, and you're like, wow, they're great, I love them, and then you realize, I don't know if I know how to do this. And I remember I, I would read books on parenting. I, I knew I, I desired deeply to be a good parent. And I was aware I did not know. So I'd read books. I'd talk to parents who'd been there and done that. I'm serious. Anytime I saw a parent do something that I thought, you know, that was good, I'd just walk up to them and say, what'd you do there? Tell me about it. Why did you do that? And I'd want to learn all I could. I prayed daily. God, please give me wisdom. I need wisdom. And... Uh, uh, I haven't been perfect in any phase of my parenting, but when our girls were little, I tried hard, imperfect, but I did my best. I, I tried to learn. I wanted to grow, and I prayed and asked God to help me. And, and I believe that God gave us some victories when they were this big that helped us to avoid some battles when they were this big. But of course, you don't avoid all the battles of the teen years. I guess a personality, they say, is formed by five. So there are some battles to win when they're younger. So we did our best there. And I had a heart that was aware of my inability. So I was very humble, very hungry, very eager to learn, very desirous of God's, God, you've got to help me. These kids have a future, and they, they are yours, God. Our children are in heritage of the Lord. Please help me to be a father that can help these young ladies grow up to serve you. God, please help me. And we got them out of one stage and into another. And because of some victories there, we avoided some battles here, but there were other battles to face. And in this stage of life, I, I said, well, God, I didn't know how to raise little kids, but now they're not so little, and I don't know how to raise kids this size or this age and so God guess what I still need you God would you help me God would you cause all the teenage boys in the world just to fall asleep for a few years do something anything help me you know and oh man we worked and worked during those years and we had a great time during those years now they're older and married now both of them julie and daniel i think last week had their one year anniversary and it's just it's unbelievable how time flies you know let me tell you something i'm learning what i could not have known before the job of being a parent does not end when your kids move out and i'm as dumb today relatively speaking as i was the first day i got to hold those little girls I still have to have that heart that says, God, I, I don't know how to do this. I've never been here before. I've, I've never gone that way before. I, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never thought of that. I've never considered that. God, help me to learn. God, get, give me your wisdom. You see, every day of life, we are all, we are all living a day we've never lived before. Now, thank God you can take victories and experiences and the wisdom you've accumulated to that point. But we never get so many experiences, victories, or wisdom that we can look to the future and say, Oh, I got this. I can handle this. There is no more damaging attitude than someone who has a know-it-all attitude. Run from that person. When we think we have it all figured out, what we are essentially saying is, God, I don't need you anymore. Perhaps the greatest Christian ever to have lived is the Apostle Paul. Yet the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 said this. He said, you know, it's not as though I'd already attained. 
either we're already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul said, listen, uh, it's not like I've already arrived. We all know I'm not perfect, but man, I'm pursuing Jesus. I just want to get a hold of this one that's gotten a hold of me. He was saying, I've made progress, but I need to stay on his path to continue. He was saying, it's not my wisdom that brings God's protection. It's my willingness to submit to his plan and humility. Joshua was a great leader. Hear this. This will bless a parent right now. Joshua was a great leader, not because he knew it all. Nobody does. Look, I know the critic in the peanut gallery of your life who's telling me you're doing it wrong. They think they know it all. Let me tell you about them. They don't even know the right questions to ask, much less the answers to the questions. I've never done one significant thing in my life without some yahoo out in left field saying, you're doing it wrong, and you know, the truth is, they were right. But I was doing it, and I was learning, and I was growing. Listen, take some pressure off yourself. Joshua was a great leader, not because he knew it all. Nobody knows it all. He was a great leader because he was keenly aware that he did not know it all. He thought, you know, I've not lived this day before, therefore I need to follow God. He would say, I, I don't know it all, but Joshua would say, God knows it all. The secret, the secret of his success was his willingness to listen to the Lord in the course of his life. You see, as it was all getting started for Joshua, God said this to him in Joshua 1 and verse 8. He said, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. God said, Joshua, here, let me tell you what to do. And I'll bring this into a vernacular we can understand. He said, just keep your nose in the word of God. Keep reading, keep learning so that you can observe and then do what you find in the Bible. And God said, as you live by my word, it's then that you're going to know real prosperity in life spiritually. And you'll have real success in life. Joshua was not the kind of man who'd stand up both and say you know look what I've done look what I've achieved he would point to God and say you know we've just tried to follow God the best way we possibly can and it is God who's guided us and protected us along the way there is a perspective that has brought me a lot of comfort in my life how many of you have needed any comfort in the course of your life there's a perspective that has helped me greatly and it's understanding the essence, the nature, the attributes, the characteristics of my God. My God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. Which means I don't have to know it all. Because if I know God who knows it all, he can inform me with that which I need to know in that moment. My God's omniscient. My God is omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. It's good to have a God like that. It's even better to be had by a God like that. It's not who I am. It's whose I am. And my God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. I love the way David wrote about this in Psalm 139. He said, where shall I go from thy spirit? Or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, 
There you are, he said. Thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. You know, the psalmist was saying, there's nowhere we're going to go in life where God is not. Can I encourage you today? That even means in your tomorrows. You see, God was with you yesterday. And God is with you this moment. And God is already at this moment in your tomorrow making plans for your arrival into there. I mean, when you wake up and start tomorrow, God from eternity past has already been in that day. And he's preparing for you. And I want you to know that what we can learn from this passage of Scripture is that progress is something that God would have for us. But progress requires patience. We have to trust God's timing. If we want to go to his place, we're going to have to go at his pace. And sometimes God says, I want you to wait here for a while. Progress requires patience. Patience allows for preparation. Coastline, the the greatest construction work that will happen as we move forward will have very little to do with drywall and two-by-fours. God's going to build us. He's going to build us. Progress requires patience. Patience allows for preparation. And preparation leads to protection. God said, you're going to have to wait here. All right, it's time to go. I want you to follow me with what I taught you during that season. And God said, there's a bunch of ites out there. Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Jebusites, Girgashites. And God says, listen, I, I will fight your battles. You just need to humbly fall in line. To get to my place, you've got to walk on my path and at my pace. And I'll work in your life. Our Father, we're very thankful today that we can glean and learn from the life of a leader like Joshua. And Lord, we're even more thankful to come to understand that the secret to his success was nothing that he had inherently or instinctively that we don't have. The testimony is his life. He was a man who was willing to wait. He wasn't the kind of guy that enjoyed waiting. We can see that in his character. But he was willing to be patient. Lord, we see that he was teachable. He was a humble leader. He was a great and a capable leader, but he was a humble man who was more than happy to tell everybody, you know, we've never been this way before. We need to make sure we're following God. And Lord, we're grateful that the testimony of his life and the life of those he was with is that you fought their battles. So God, we come to you today with a heart longing for growth in our lives growth for your glory, growth for the good of others. And I pray that these are lessons that we'll take with us today. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. I wonder how many of you would say, you know, Pastor, there was something in our study today that I think was helpful for me. Maybe you're today in a time of waiting. You say, you know, I just need to be reminded. Sometimes it seems like it's the least opportune time, but it's, it's a time to wait. Maybe it has to do with that heart that's willing to learn. You'll let God prepare you. But maybe you're here today and say, you know, Pastor, there was something in that study that I think was helpful for me in my life. Are there any like that this morning? Just by the testimony of a quickly raised hand. Pastor, there was some value in that. Thank you so much. You may put your hands down. In a sense today, the entire scope of this message has dealt with following the Lord. And that implies He's got a path for us in life. He's got a destination for us, and all of this must be premised or based upon 
in absolute understanding that we have truly a personal relationship with God. I may have been asked it before, but it didn't register. I can think in my mind the first time someone said to me, Steve, if you died today, would you go to heaven? They could have asked many questions that I would have been more than happy to answer, but when they shot that straight with me and said it that plainly, I realized, man, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I have that kind of relationship with God. Let me ask you today, do you know for sure if you were to die today, you'd spend forever in heaven with God? And the great news is you can know. In 1 John 5 and verse 13, the Bible says that, uh, that these things are written that we can know that we have everlasting life. And many hands have already been raised. Perhaps you've already raised yours. But let me ask this question now. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I want progress and I want to go where God would have me to go. But sometimes I'm just not sure about my relationship with Him. And I'd like to be sure of that. And so as you think of everybody in prayer, add my hand to the, to the prayer today. I'd just like to be sure of my standing with God, of my relationship with Him. Are there those this morning by the testimony? Just a, just a quickly raised hand. Pastor, pray with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good. I wonder, are there some others? You'd say, Pastor, that's where I'm at. I'm just really not certain I have that kind of relationship with God. And if anyone could know that, I'd like to know that. Pray for me. Pray for me. Maybe there are other spiritual decisions that need to be made. Perhaps you've been saved and not yet scripturally baptized. Perhaps God is putting on your heart a desire to unite with this family by way of membership. I'd encourage you to follow the leading of God. Would you all be so kind as to join me in standing, please? Our heads are still bowed in a spirit of prayer. And in a moment, Ryan's going to 